Hello and welcome to Data Talks by AIM. In our podcast, AIM experts and partners talk about data, the opportunities arising and the challenges that organizations face. We hope you find our conversations and discussions useful and interesting. Thank you very much to everybody who's joined us this afternoon um, from uh, all around the world, I believe. Um, the, the webinar session today is um, titled uh, Data Governance with Data Belt. And this session really is about looking at how data is a key commodity, an essential commodity of an organization, should be managed and how uh, what we call regulatory technology, so the terminology for for artificial intelligence and other similar technologies, can help in that sort of process um, through the prism of of Data Belt, which is a, an AIM tool. Um, and I'm delighted to say that I'm joined today to discuss these sessions by uh, by Jonathan Lau from Aguru, and also a colleague of mine, Matt Smith from AIM. Um, I'm Steve Ackland. I'm one of the directors of AIM and uh, a pleasure to be moderating and discussing this, the topic this afternoon. And we're not only looking at how uh, data governance and data built tools can actually support an organization in, in their objectives, but also looking at that through the, through the prism, through the direction of the new Data Protection Act in South Africa, uh, the, the Poppy Act. And um, today really is, is an opportunity for looking at how data governance can support data protection, uh, how it can support regulatory and legislative compliance. And um, we're also hopefully from uh, from the UK and the EU, where, where AIM is based, uh, some experiences that we've got, we've had uh, from the EU with the GDPR, so the General Data Protection Regulation, which is implemented now two years ago. So we have some experience which we hope will be of use to those in South Africa who are currently looking at how this legislation may well pan out. And we give some ideas and thoughts around how that will happen. Now, just give a quick view as to how this afternoon is going to go. So uh, we've, we've roughly got an hour set up for this session. Um, we will uh, be going to the guys to introduce themselves very, very shortly and tell a little bit about themselves and what their interests are. And, and then we move into a series of, of questions and answers and discussion points. And if you do have any contributions to make through that, then please do um, raise, raise a hand through the chat function. I'll be checking on that as we actually go through and, and bring in those comments uh, as, uh, as they arise and um, hopefully push that out to the guys or, or maybe I'll have a view as well. Um, so, please feel free to do that. There will be a little bit of time at the end to, to raise any other questions that you have uh, before we, we close down and summarize uh, the, the outcome of the session. So without further ado, I'll pass on to the guys. And um, when we come back at the end, just to let you know that this is being recorded and uh, there will be the availability of a link to the, the um, video and a podcast, and we'll obviously be passing that on to you, um, to those who have attended the session uh, when it's available. We'll be letting you know how that will work. Uh, but without further ado, as I said, let's introduce uh, two colleagues on this call. And I think if we start with, with you, Johan Lau, and perhaps introduce yourself and give us an overview of uh, a guru and your interest in this, in this space, please. 
Hi, Steve. Thank you. So, yeah, I'm uh, joining you from a very cold Cape Town. We've had a couple of uh, cold spells running through snow on the mountain. So, uh, yeah, it's chilly. If I'm shivering, it's not because I'm anxious, it's because I'm cold. <laughs> um, yeah, so I founded a company called Aguru Business Solutions. And the idea is that we help companies with their digital transformation process. Uh, I started life as a process engineer, got very interested and involved with uh, automation and controls, particularly in large industrial type environments. Uh, so I had a career in, in, in that space. Uh, but yeah, finally uh, took the entrepreneurial bite and uh, bringing all of that expertise of project management and, and complex interface management uh, to, to businesses. Of course, um, particularly in South Africa, we, we, we've had through our economic challenges, we haven't uh, had that many uh, large capital investments. So what we see these days, the companies are shifting towards investments in efficiencies. And this is largely uh, geared towards uh, digitalization, uh, building processes for, you know, like robotic process automation uh, or using AI to be able to run their, their businesses more efficiently. Uh, and with that comes data. So a huge amount of data being generated, being processed, and of course, that brings us uh, very nicely to our pop, uh, topic of the day being uh, Poppy. So thank you very much for having me. Looking forward to interesting discussion. Super, thanks, Johan. Uh, Matt Smith, would you like to introduce yourself, your interests, and what you hope to contribute today? Yes, afternoon, everybody. So I'm Matt Smith. I head up the pre-sales team at AIM. I've been consulting for around uh, 10 years now. And I started off mainly in the, the work management space. So we had a, a couple of very large projects in the, the UK for um, clients with a, a global customer base, implementing some really clever and smart work management systems. <clears throat> then went on to specialize a little bit more in the ITSM side of things, so IT service management. Um, and then more recently, so the past sort of three or four years, uh, been specializing in artificial intelligence um, things like machine learning and robotic process automation. So that's where my my keen interests lie, um, and that's what we've been doing at AIM with our data belt tool. And so today, looking forward to discussing what I've done in my role as, as head of pre-sales. It's my responsibility at, at AIM to put together really strong proof of concepts um, and business cases for our customers so they know when they're buying data belt they get a return on investment very soon and understand the full capability of the project through things like pilots and uh, and demos and the like and so i can bring some of that experience to bear uh, in this call tell you the your challenges that our customers are facing um, and how they're using data belt to overcome those great thanks very much indeed matt so, um, so as I say, for those, we've had a couple of joiners uh, since we started. So just to say that this is a, a webinar about data governance with, uh, through the prism of, of Data Belt and also the South African um, New Data Protection Poppy Act. I think probably best thing is to start with the guy on the ground who, who knows about this and expecting this is Johan. Can you tell us a little bit around uh, Poppy Act and uh, what your thoughts are around it, please? Thank you, Steve. Yeah, so um, I guess the first thing is to say at last um, we have Poppy, um, but Poppy is not new. Uh, the Act, uh, which is the Protection of Personal Information Act number four of 2013, has been around for some time. 
Uh, but there's been uh, quite a delay in, in, in the getting to the point where it's now finally proclaimed as being effective. And this year, during uh, the lockdown period uh, due to COVID, uh, our pre president proclaimed it uh, effective on the 1st of July. And with that comes a one-year notice period. Uh, that means it still gives companies one more year to ensure that they are compliant before the information regulator will start having the rights and the powers to be able to uh, install fines or any other forms of penalties that the Act allows. So really we're looking now at a deadline of the 30th of June 2021, for which all companies have to uh, comply with, with this Act. Now, I would say it, it hasn't come a moment too soon. I think through all of the news that we've seen this year um, around uh, data governance, data breaches, cyber uh, uh, security breaches, and all of these things, and how it has picked up due to or during the period of COVID. I've seen reports of fourfold, even some 750% increase in data breaches and, and cyber attacks. Uh, and we are not free of that in South Africa. Uh, we certainly have been under the suspicion for some time that there's a lot of activity uh, in the market, but not always as transparent. And we certainly excited, I think one should be excited about this regulation, giving us a much better uh, uh, window towards what's happening with organizations, how they are dealing with data and what the breaches are that they are exposing. It shouldn't be something that's happening behind the scene. It's something that should be visible. And I think it's time, long time, for, for companies to take that responsibility. Just last night, um, as I uh, went to supper, I got an SMS from one of our big banks to say that uh, the credit um, uh, group that kind of underwrites all of the credits has had a breach and hundreds of thousands of uh, data data subjects uh, data has been been compromised has been shared now that in itself is is obviously not good news um, that there is a breach and, and there is a notification but the notifi notification in itself uh, gave me a bit of a chuckle because it's from a a, a bank that i last banked in 1999 <laughs> so <laughs> it means they still have data of me <laughs> personal data to be able to send me an SMS to say that my data is compromised. So thank you very much for the Standard Bank. I would love to help you on, on that one, but I'm no longer uh, a member of the bank. And then this morning, I, uh, I got an email um, from the same bank to you know, state similar message. But certainly I'm a suspicious individual when it comes to, to these types of emails. Mm. Then I found that it was sent from Standard Bank without an R in the standard. So obviously ah, already a scamster has scam, picked up on yeah, this yeah, yeah. and has created this environment. So what I'm saying with that, um, these situations are, are rife. They're going out there uh, and everyone needs protection and it's it's good time for the Poppy Act to be in place. I think I have to agree with that. And I think something like 108 countries are now going through their own independent journeys to introduce legislation. So uh, we're tracking all those as well, um, even areas where perhaps, like China, 
uh, are also looking at data protection, although it'd be quite interesting to see what they come out with. Um, in terms then, you, you're extremely well placed, Johan, for seeing uh, what companies are doing, how they are preparing, how they're embracing or otherwise. I mean, I'm sure like uh, like in Europe, a number of companies put their heads in the sand for, for a while leading up to and even after uh, the GDPR regulation went live. Um, can you give us a sort of a feel for what companies are doing in your experience and um, are they doing the right sort of things you feel right now? So I think we should group companies into three main brackets. Uh, I think the, the first bracket is, is the guys that are, are, are good to go. Um, these are companies that are probably already down the road with GDPR and they're conscious about uh, data protection. Uh, they've put things in place. It's often our listed companies or large corporates uh, that have already got very strong governance structures. And they're just flowing from GDPR, GDPR into Poppy. Uh, and they, they, they should be reasonably good to go. The second group are the late adopters. Those are the, the, the companies that uh, uh, might not have a purpose or reason to, to uh, have given GDPR any attention uh, and might simplify, uh, and, and it would not be a good idea, but uh, they simplify what uh, Poppy is about. Uh, so they're late starters and they might find themselves in, in a bit of a, a problem situation. Of course, then the third group are the denialists. Those are the ones that say, uh, it's not applicable to me. Uh, I don't have to worry about this. This is all this big company stuff and foreign stuff and so on. And that would, of course, be a, a grave mistake. Uh, and uh, I, I would say to those companies, you've got very little time. Uh, even the 12 months, or now it's less, it's 10 months, um, is very little time to truly get to grips with what's going on in your business and, and manage all of the, the elements that you need to attend to in terms of the act. I think companies that are, are doing a good job are the ones that understand uh, how data moves into the organization, uh, how it's being processed within the organization, and how the data leaves the organization. Uh, and all of that needs to be a, a controlled process. It means that there needs to be structures and process and governance in place to ensure in no way that um, anybody with, uh, with the wrong intentions have access to the data and be able to, to extract or manipulate or transfer the data to, to other entities. So that, that at a very high level will be the companies that are, are, are paying uh, good attention, taking the right approach. Uh, and I think with, with uh, understanding the scope of, of the, the regulation uh, and understanding the timelines, what they, they need to deliver in, uh, they would be on, there's been a lot of focus around the, the legal side, the, the regulation side. I think to some extent uh, there's, there's good information about from the IT perspective. But what I would certainly like to, to see more is that there's a, a much stronger discussion that they that companies has to understand that this is an op operational act. This is not an IT act. This is not a, just a legal act. This is about their operations and their business. So companies that are paying attention to that aspect uh, should find themselves in good stead, but likely also to find that they have uh, lots of loose ends to, to cover with this, uh, with this act. If you haven't started, um, okay, uh, you need help. You're going to probably need uh, somebody to, to uh, help you to understand what your risks are and what are the steps that you need to take. Um, but yeah, I, I guess it's uh, the, the three main groups of, of approaches that, that uh, people have to adopt. Mm. And interestingly, drawing a parallel with, with Europe and GDPR, that's exactly how it happened two years ago. 
Um, you tended to have the, the, the you mentioned about the group who are already on top of this. Uh, they tended to be the the larger tier one organisations um, who had the money and the resources. Obviously, were able to invest, have a team, pull a team together, start looking at it. Um, and then you had all the way down, as you said, to the deniers and uh, small organisations. Um, one thing that we did notice was that, and we'd be interesting to track what happens with Poppy, but in the lead up to GDPR going live in May 2018, it was almost like you mentioned 1999 back there in the millennium. And it was very similar to that, whereby you had this sort of huge flurry of panic of organizations which weren't quite sure whether they'd done the right thing or not done the right thing prior to it and some were sort of prepared you know data protection like cyber security should be a housekeeping function it's not something that you can decide to leave out you should really have been doing it anyway you don't really need legislation to tell you how to to manage your business your data properly um, but there's a flurry of panic with organizations who i think for the first time saw uh, the regulation or, or the Data Protection Act in the UK and relevant uh, equivalent legislations in European countries. And they tried to work out, crikey, what's the minimum we have to do? And what you had was a series of very, very small um, sticking plasters on what they needed to do to, to be absolute minimum. And as we said before, you know, it was down to things like, for example, sending out an email to everybody that they'd ever spoken to, that they thought they'd ever spoken to or be in contact with to say, do you want us to retain your data or not? Um, putting cookie controls on their website or having consent removed potentially on the website if you didn't want to be contacted. And they thought that was good enough. And a lot of organizations, particularly the smaller ones, went along that road for for a good year until the regulators started getting a little bit of teeth. Then they started exercising, as you said, their, their sort of controls and their ability to uh, to look at organizations and, and issue fines where they felt that uh, organizations' uh, data protection posture wasn't good enough or where there had been a breach, for example. Um, then I think it started to get serious. Then you had sort of the second wave of of activity whereby organizations are coming out asking for help looking at how they were doing things and trying to embed the whole process a little bit more strongly than they they had been uh, previously and of course coincided once again with with yet more data losses uh, was quite important but i think one thing um, that i'm interested Johan, in your view again around southern african companies is that data protections as i was saying earlier you know it's a it's really a housekeeping function. It's no different to looking after staff, looking after your finances, really. It's looking after data. And data, really, in our experience, is probably one of the least understood areas, strangely enough, in an organization, despite its absolute criticality to what a, what a business does. And um, I'm interested in, in hearing what your views are around um, organizations in South Africa about how they understand their data and as you said you know, why in, in the example of your bank um, they're hoarding data clearly they're not cleansing data they're not removing data they're not checking how old this data is since it was it really was last used or you last had an account I just wondered again what your views are in South Africa what, what status is on understanding of data very good question um, and, and I guess it's a uh, a point that will be uh, have to be contextualized in each organization. So I'm, I'm definitely going to be generalizing. I think there are companies that understand that data is a valuable asset. 
And again, those would be the tier one companies, or um, perhaps not all of them, but certainly companies that are, are, are very, very focused to understand that how data flows through the organization is, is an asset to their business. If they can optimize that, then they're going to extract the most uh, value. Then there are the companies that are just producers. They, they, they generate data. Um, they don't have sufficient control of uh, how their data is flowing. Uh, they constantly have problems with uh, servers and data lakes and data uh, not communicating, um, always on projects with master data. Those companies, you will find that there's always a project saying we need to solve master data. Uh, there are people assigned to resolve the master data. And as you say, it's, it's about putting a plaster on rather than really getting to the core of understanding how data will be generated. I think certain things like cloud solutions that's coming into play is going to create difficulties for companies like that because it's easier to, to generate data and externalize data. And in terms of the act where we now have the definition of an operator, that's the, that's the company that the, that the responsible party can outsource some of its data processing activities, is further extending that boundary of where data exists. So those companies are the ones that, uh, that are, are going to struggle because they have massive amounts of data, but they don't have control. The next step of the, of the companies are ones that are better at generating the data, controlling the data, but they haven't actually identified the full value that they get, can get from data. And they would be uh, reasonably good to manage compliance, but they will still be uh, exposed once they start delivering projects that uh, surf um, you know, surf data and, and generate data better to, you know, whether it's in the processes or their marketing or all of, uh, all of these spaces. I would say to companies like that, you actually haven't got the full value of data. Perhaps you, you, you very focus on the compliance part, but you haven't actually extracted the full value from the data. And of, of course, then at the last end would be the companies that are, again, the, the denialist, um, it's chaos. Um, they, they actually haven't got a good uh, a data framework. Uh, they're not generating data. Uh, and they would also be exposed uh, to, to cyber attacks and, and, and all of those very technical things when it comes to the, the data landscape. But the, for me, that continuum, and I guess one that wants to work backwards, you want to go to that first uh, definition that I have. Um, but you want to get to a state where you have an organization that is uh, efficient in generating data, it's efficient at processing data, it's stand up to all governance, compliance, uh, regulation, but ultimately it's something that moves to the balance sheet as, an, as a true asset to the business, which you know, they can then uh, um, exploit to, to maximize the value for the shareholders. Perfect. Thank you. And um, I'm going to bring Matt Smith in to tell us a little bit around how Databelt can actually help in all these areas and understanding that value, because as you quite rightly say, uh, Johan, the value can apply in all sorts of uh, aspects from you know loss through to monetization through to all other sources. Um, but Michael uh, Gray has raised a question and he said as follows, uh, Popia, Popia has the same effect as GDPR in Europe. Um, you don't keep to any rules because there's no one stopping you. Um, in terms of contrast with GDPR, I mean, GDPR is is not so much um, down to the level, I think, but, uh, that, that POP is going. And also to add to the fact that there are thresholds within organizations, such that you have to be of a certain size, for example, 
to have certain governance controls and roles in place, such as the data protection officer. Uh, what, what's the equivalent, Johan, in, uh, in, in Popia there? I think it goes down a lot lower level, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and I think that would be one of the, the, the critical mistakes that the company can make that has perhaps focused on attending to GDPR uh, to simplify and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I'm under the threshold for, for Popia. Popia applies to everybody. So every organization, even if you are a one-man organization, uh, requires an information officer. Uh, that information officer needs to be notified to our information regulator. Um, and that company, that entity, uh, is a, um, a responsible party in terms of the act. Now, there's a very interesting uh, difference between Popia and GDPR. Popia allows for juristic persons as well as natural persons, both from a, a responsible party perspective. And you would say, well, that makes sense. It's, it's a business. It's a juristic person but also from a data subject perspective. So it means that the data subject can also be a juristic person, which is different to GDPR, where it's only data associated with a, with a natural Correct. person. Yep. So that, that's a very interesting uh, difference. Of course, there's terminology differences. So we've got the, the um, data protection officer for, uh, for GDPR, who kind of acts independently. He would report to the supervisory authority if there's any non-compliance uh, or, or something of the sort, but he's not responsible for that compliance. Where with Popia, the uh, information officer, so the information officer will be appointed by the responsible party. By default, it's the CEO of, of the business or the managing director, but it can be assigned to an information officer. And that information officer has got much more a change management, a compliance orientation function. He's changing the culture. He's making sure that uh, uh, all the processes are in place uh, and has therefore a very um, critical actor in that process. But the law or the regulation in terms of that uh, responsibility or the accountability finally still lies with the, with the CEO and with, with, with the board of the company. So you can't outsource that responsibility or the accountability completely to, to the information officer. Yeah. Yeah. I think then there's, there's also differences in the, the teeth that the regulator has. Uh, there are some uh, distinct differences between GDPR and POPIA. Of course, GDPR is much bigger fines. I mean, we see big percentages, uh, percentages of revenue, etc. In South Africa, the, the regulation is basically... For the lesser fines, it's one million rand or up to one, one year in imprisonment and or and a maximum of 10 million rand and 10 years imprisonment. So there's definitely a criminal as well as a civil uh, offense uh, that, that can take place. And the act is very clear about uh, where each of those applies. I think to the question from, uh, um, from the gentleman was that, um, again, there's a, there's a law, but there isn't that much in terms of power to, to enforce this law. So firstly, the, the information regulator is a small team. It's really made up of five people. Um, but then there's an extended team. There's a CEO and an administrative function that will obviously be able to, to manage all of the, the other details. But the regulator as such is, is made up of a chair, two uh, functional full-time mem members and two part-time members. And they are likely to have their hands full, not because of them finding non-compliances, but by the requirement for companies to report if there's a data breach, for the opportunity for 
uh, a, a data subject to raise a complaint uh, with with a regulator, and the regulator has the power to um, to claim for damages on behalf of the data subject. So there's a very interesting dynamic that's going to come into play there. I think it's it's not so much the stick that is um, the way forward or how the, the the act will be used, but it's available to the regulator. I think it's much more of a carrot aspect where, we, where companies are encouraged to drive compliance and start using compliance then as, a, as an enabler and enforcer of their business. Uh, I want to do business with you because I'm, I'm confident uh, mm. that you've got uh, everything in place. You're mm. compliant and my, my data that's being moved to you uh, is in good hands. And yeah. I think that is where, where the, the act is really going to help us and companies will drive each other to get to that point. I, I totally agree, and I think there's too much emphasis made on the the negative and the penalties, not enough on the opportunities. And as you quite rightly say, like anything, people want to work with organisations who are fit and proper, do things correctly, and look after look after the data that they they use. Uh, and you know, re- relatively recent survey in the states said for consumers said that something like over seventy percent of people. Um, generally will not deal with with organizations who have a bad record on looking after consumer data. So I think that sort of says everything about loyalty, which obviously nowadays is absolutely key to future business. Um, thank you for that. I think it's a good good point at this juncture to bring in Matt. Um, obviously, Matt, you've been working with data now, as you said, for a number of years, and AI and how that supports areas and GDPR uh, in, in Europe, and obviously you started to see the growth and expansion of data protection legislation, some of which is based on GDPR, some of which, of course, is completely homegrown into other areas and other, other regions. Um, give us a quick overview, perhaps, of how Data Belt has been designed um, to, to look and support data protection and all the, uh, the, the requirements and processes surrounding that, please. Sure. So, I'm a bit of a telescope geek, so I'll start off with an analogy, so please bear with me. So in terms of how data belt helps companies, if you imagine in the past you had some traditional challenges when it came to using a, a telescope on the ground, you couldn't see the stars and the galaxies because you had clouds, you had atmospheric interference, you had light pollution and the like. So although you might have the world's most expensive telescope, you couldn't actually use it properly. It's actually very similar to my situation in Kent for the light pollution we have and all the clouds. And uh, DataBelt attempts to do and and does do um, a process of actually removing those traditional challenges, of course not clouds, light pollution, and atmospheric interference, but around data. So the traditional challenges with data is around not understanding where it's located, not understanding um, the ontology of the data and how it is related um, to, to each other. And so that's what DataBot does. It overcomes those uh, traditional challenges and allows organizations to see their data clearly and in its entirety. And if you think of some of the examples in terms of uh, GDPR and the rights that we make available to our data subjects, you've got certain things like uh, a DSAR, so a data subject access request. And this is where a data subject can go to an organization, so such as I, I could go to my bank, similar to Johan's point earlier, and say, um, you know, I want to understand what information you hold on me. Uh, I want to see that. Um, I also have the right to be forgotten. So I could say, all that data that you hold on me, I want you to delete it. Um, 
there's also things around the freedom of information requests. Yeah, I might contact a legislative body or an organization and say, I want to understand the, the data that you hold on, on this type of thing. And there's also rules around data retention. So, you know, let's say you can only hold data for a certain amount of years, in which case, Johan's point earlier, there may be some non-compliance with Johan, you know, being in a bank 10 years ago and then getting a text, although, of course, possibly from a scammer. Um, so there's all these different rights that we have. And if you've got that sort of light pollution, that cloud issue, the analogy with my telescope, you cannot see the data and you can't understand it. And what we're doing at the moment, we've got some really interesting examples where we're working um, with law enforcement is they have certain rules around um, how long certain types of data can be held. So as an example, if I'm uh, arrested or I'm in interviewed by police, I'd have a, a custody photo taken of me and depending on the nature of the crime and how long ago it was um, that data needs to be removed and of course if you don't have a a tool like data belt and we can come on to more how that works um, shortly it's very difficult to search across your entire data estate and find all instances where matt smith you know lives within your data it's very hard to um let's say there were some text contained in that photograph such as a, a crime reference number how do you tease out that text from that photograph and be able to hold it as metadata so that it is searchable. So all these very complex search requirements that organizations have because of those those things that GDPR and those um, things that allow our data subjects to ask for. Um, And so really, as I said earlier, in terms of the the, uh, telescope example, if you cannot see your data and you can't understand it in its entirety, it's very hard to be compliant uh, with, with the acts that we're talking about. Steve, if I can quickly come in here just to follow on a point there from from Matt, and also back to a point I made earlier, I think that we're going to see a lot of companies having interaction uh, with each other because of where Poppia as a as a juristic person for the data subject having the right to say, uh, Company X, what information do you have on me? The Act allows for that to be a process that's done at no cost. So I can ask any of my banks or I can ask a previous employer or I can say, what data do you have on me? And they cannot charge me for it. They have to answer, answer but within reasonable time, the access. But they can then ask, what is the detail? Uh, so the data subject can um, request that all of that information is being made available to check for quality or the identification, whatever the purpose might be after that. But that, that's, that's a right that has been given to the data subject. And because a juristic person can ask that question, means one company can ask for that information from, from another company. They can charge for, for the cost. So if I'm being requested from a data subject, I have to answer them, yes, I have got information on you, no cost. But the next question is, okay, give me that information. I can charge them to be able to produce that information. Right. But nevertheless, this is something that will have to be dug out. Now, here's an example. At some point, uh, somebody has a disciplinary. Okay? So there's a few managers in the organization, uh, and there's a disciplinary process. And now information are being shared around on email. <clears throat> excuse me, it's a disciplinary report, perhaps uh, past information, etc. Would I be correct to say that a, uh, an employer will now be at breach Let's say that person have now left the organization and they're now putting a request to the organization and say, um, please give me all the information that you have on me. 
and they would go to the server and they will go to the HR system and they will say, oh, yeah, yeah it is, uh, Johan, here's all the information we have on you, or if it's somebody else. But in the meantime, there's all of this other sensitive information that exists on other people's computers. It could be safe somewhere on another server or something like that because it's not in the primary system. Mm. That, that, that would be, uh, that would, that would be uh, not completely uh, attending to the requirements of the act. Does Databelt have that ability to go and find that information? Yeah, so uh, probably just trying to think of the best way of explaining Databelt really. I mean, at its heart, it is a work management platform. So it allows teams to access the system, understand the tasks that are expected of them and carry out. But to address your point, Johan, in terms of does it have that capability um, to do that searching and that crawling? Absolutely. It's actually one of the unique features that Databelt has. And it has this uh, data crawler capability. And what we do is we install Databelt within a, a client organization. And the crawler goes out and iteratively goes through all the different folders and file structures and the like. And it finds every single file um, that it has access to uh, within the customer organization. And we're talking about structured, unstructured data, um, things like Google Drives, uh, things like databases indeed, um, SharePoint, for example. Um, and, and it will find that information and it will index it. And the really important thing about the index is you may have uh, an organization that has you know, gigabytes, terabytes, petabytes of data. That index is then around 1% to 3% of the size of the organization's entire data estate. So that's the first thing that it does. Um, but of course, just indexing the data isn't, isn't quite enough. You know, you can search on that information and that's useful. But there's so many more things, um, sort of tags and classifications that go along with our data that is important when it comes to searching on things that we're talking about here, like the rights that our data subjects have. Um, what it does after it does its index is it does its uh, classification run. And what this is, imagine you have a requirement in your organization and you want to understand all data across the estate that relates to an individual. So you may say, I want to find everything that has a national insurance number or a date of birth, something along those lines. And what we have in Databelt is the ability to set up these uh, regular expressions. So it's a way of defining what does a date of birth look like? What does a national insurance number look like? And so when Databelt captures all of these files and it takes the information from them, it'll then run the classification engine and it'll say, right, I've got a file here and it contains personal information because it has the date of birth tag or it has the address tag, whatever it might be. Um, and then on top of that, um, slightly away from GDPR and Popia, is it also does a data valuation. So it's possibly something for another, another webinar for us to discuss, of course. But you know, data is valuable within organizations, especially if you're looking to sell. And it's very important to understand what the value of that data is. So just to kind of reiterate really that process, Databelt does the crawler, finds all the information, teases the information out of those files, and then runs its classification and its valuation engines. Um, and I think one thing just to point out as well, we're not just talking about Word documents and Excel spreadsheets. That would be very easy. Um, we're talking about things like uh, phone recordings. Um, Databelt will transcribe the audio 
that is contained within phone recordings so that you can search on them. Um, it also uses artificial intelligence. So you might have a classification trying to find, um, you know, you might be looking for a Father Christmas, let's say, wherever he appears within your data estate. You create a model that looks like Father Christmas in that you load images of Father Christmas into Databelt and it will find everything that matches. Um, it also uses OCR, so optical character reading, to find text that is within uh, images and again tease that information out so it can be searched on. So it's not just about finding the data and indexing it, it's also about passing the information that exists within those files. So whether it's text, audio, image, video, you will get out the information that you need to be able to search on it. Yeah, and I think thing is that if, if I've been part of a, of a webinar, uh, I can ask a company uh, uh, to extract their voice recording uh, because I'm, I'm, I'm there, I'm identified, um, and data will, will be able to search all their massive data like to be able to, to zero in to, to find that specific uh, bit of data Absolutely. On, on video or audio. So, for, you know, for an example, we're going to be obviously saving this webinar as a file uh, within our database. And if we received uh, a data subject access request from Johan and he says, please find everywhere where I am across your organization, um, you know, you may not find this webinar recording using traditional means because we don't call it webinar with Johan. You know, we call it the data belt webinar. So what we would do, and, and this is the great thing, this doesn't involve coding. This is something that um, somebody like a business analyst or a data analyst or processor within an organization can carry out using data belt, is that they would construct a model of Johan. So maybe feed in 10 or so images, Johan, of, of you that we can find or that you provide to us possibly. We create that model and we run it across the, the data estate. So any images where you are found, any videos where you are, they will come back. And of course, because it's artificial intelligence, it's not always infallible. Uh, if you and I looked more similar, it, it may find me. But that's where training the model, of course, is important. Um, and it will give a percentage match. So let's say it was a little bit unsure because maybe, you know, at the moment, if, you, if your lighting was worse, we might not be able to see your face as well. There'd be a percentage match. Um, but I think one of the, the more usual use cases that we come across quite regularly is an organization is very interested in, let's say, understanding everywhere where a vendor contract exists across their estate. Let's say they're having issues with their vendor and they haven't been keeping very good records. And uh, let's say vendor contracts are actually scanned and uploaded to, you know, to a database somewhere or multiple databases, and they want to find them. What we do is we would construct, or they would construct, a model of what the vendor contract looks like. So they would feed in maybe 10, 5, 10, 15 copies of the vendor contracts that they know of. And Databelt would learn what that model looks like. It says, right, we've got some text at the top. We then have a blue bar. We then have a table. And then we have a footer at the bottom. And it will understand uh, what that model is. That model then gets trained against the index. And Databelt will say, right, I've now also found these additional 20 vendor contracts that you weren't aware of um, and be able to actually present those to the user through Databelt's front end. So some very powerful AI capability there. And of course, to add to, uh, to that and to Johan's point, um, one of the problems with, with GDPR and subject access requests is finding everything about somebody. Uh, and particularly, 
malicious behaviours maybe from somebody. I mean, we've, we've noticed, for example, that subjects requests are often as a result of um, uh, some some dispute, some um, um, recruitment dispute, perhaps, um, whereby somebody uh, has been taken on, uh, maybe needs to be removed from post, and they decide they're actually going to issue a subject access request on the basis that it either delays the process of removing them from the organisation, um, or they feel that they're not the organisation not going to be in a position to actually take all that information and find it. And you get a lot of uh, a lot of that. You know, having access to your information where it is for for everybody, uh, there are no areas that you you can't see in your data. Is absolutely key, and that's not just around GDPR. Of course, that's uh, that's so many other areas as well. And I think the sort of areas again that that matters brought out um, really are delivering big benefits. So again, if we're looking at an organisation uh, seeing the opportunities rather than just the penalties, then um, having technology to allow it to uh, generate and have that level of understanding is great because it's not just around. You know, knowing what there is and preparing for people who are going to ask for their information, but also it does things like knowing what your data is, why are we holding it, what are our costs of storage, for example. Um, you know, why are we paying for this money for storage uh, on a cloud and it doesn't really ever get access, has been accessed for 10 years. So all those sorts of areas as well are, are really, really key to understanding uh, understanding your data. Um, Matt, Steve. in terms of, sorry, yeah, Johan. Yeah, no, I was just saying, so other than um, just trying to find this, uh, those Christmas party pictures that you don't, uh, any, don't want to be <laughs> going around any longer, what I'm understanding then is there's, there's a very powerful capability to actually look at how data is moving through an organization. Um, so it's this part compliance subject, but there's also uh, part data management, data flow subject. And, and, and this is a critical aspect in, in, in M&A. I mean, if, if you want to divest a business or you want to acquire a business, these are now very important subjects to, to ask questions around your data value and compliance. Oh, absolutely right. And um, as I say, we're sort of moving away a little bit. But as you quite rightly say, whether you're on the sell side or the buy side, um, if you're on the sell side, you want to promote your organization as having been well run and, and compliant. And if you're on the bias side, you want to make sure that your taken organization doesn't have all sorts of little grenades um, fizzing away, ready to explode once you've taken that on. So um, and, and the, the need for data protection and cybersecurity uh, are absolutely key. And, and understanding and having that confidence and um, using a tool perhaps like DataBelt to actually show on one side or the other, it's a due diligence or as part of like a seller's pack to the market to show them that in fact you are operating in a good place and um, you do apply risk management and you do know what your data is and it is well classified and it's uh, you know all within its retention uh, requirements retention date requirements and policies is a very very positive thing and as we've seen you know um, some of the, some companies that go through the M&A process um, can have millions or even billions added to their valuation simply because people look at them and think, yeah, this is a great company. I really want to, to buy that. And I know I'm buying real quality. Um, so it really, really helps to make sure that you actually do that. The other area, which again, we've noticed um, as a direction of travel is data protection is not a standalone feature. And, you, and you'll find that obviously in any, in any country. And I think, during Popia, it will come uh, 
come all the more to the to the to the focus. In the data protection is part of um, a continuum uh, of all sorts of other disciplines around data. So whether it's cybersecurity, whether it's risk, whether it's compliance, all those areas, data protection is part of it. Because as we well know, if you have a um, a, a data protection issue uh, arising from a cyber security attack, for example, uh, then data possibly has been compromised, and you may well have your customer um, uh, your, your customer's uh, data may have been stolen and used. That could therefore lead to potentially a fraudulent activity. You know, it may well be they take their their ID theft or they're taking their their company cards um, and using them to extract money or uh, or some sort of ransomware. Um, and of course, if that is the case, then not only do you need to involve your risk team. We also need to involve your compliance team. So you're automatically bringing together data protection as being a linchpin of all these other areas as well. And certainly over in uh, in European countries, in the UK, um, the information commissioner, who is the person with um, legal and government responsibility for ensuring the Data Protection Act is uh, is obviously implemented correctly. Uh, they are the ones who who find organisations, and and they are very very clear um, how they need organisations to make sure that they report on these breaches, who's been compromised, have you let the consumers know their data has been taken, and what the consequences of those are. And an organisation has only three days to actually inform the ICO that that has actually happened. Now, um, I'm sure that's going to be happening in, in Popia, absolutely no doubt. That's very, very important. Um, and of course, with that, that very, very tight SLA, what you can't afford to do, an uh, organization of any size, is to then manually run around. If you have been compromised, God forbid anybody does, but if you have been compromised, to run around and find out all that information as quickly as you need to compile it into a report with a reason, um, what happened, when it happened, how it happened, how you're going to remediate that for the future, and send it off to your regulator within, within a matter of days. So um, a tool, again, like DataBelt will, um, I think I'm right, Matt, help you do all those sorts of things. So it's uh, very much, again, a data-led system rather than a report driven type of system correct indeed and, and that's where the classifications really come into it as, as i said before it's not enough just to index your data and be able to search on it but you need to understand the risk the sensitivity of that data so as an example if we know that a certain uh, server has been compromised it would take us possibly days or weeks to trawl through all of that information and work out the importance of that data Whereas if you have uh, tags built into a tool such as DataBelt, um, such as whether it's personal information, sensitive information, financial information, when that index is run, it will understand that that server is of in a high importance in terms of its sensitivity and its privacy issues. So you'll know immediately, actually, we do have a, a large issue here and we know what has been compromised or possibly you know, if it was just a, a personal server where I'm just storing my holiday snaps, I might not have such a big deal to issue to deal with. So it's really speeding up that time and understanding, you know, the true impact of a data breach by understanding the classification of your data. Matt, have you been able to get any kind of met metrics about what, what that uh, sort of reduction in effort would be from a manual to, to a data vault process? Yeah, we, we've seen up to 97% improvement. Wow. And then th this was benchmarked, this has been benchmarked a lot of times in our 
um, in our clients' organizations. So if you look at something like a data subject access request, we've seen it, yeah, up to 97% improvement versus. And then when you look at cost, it's very different. You know, if you're looking at hiring uh, 10 people to work two weeks to go through some databases, the cost of that is very large, um, you know, compared to something like like data belt that will actually already give you that information so not only is it quicker but much more cost effective as well than just using pure manpower alone and i think that's that's the essence then of of popia is it is about risk management uh it's about ensuring that you've got a hand on personal information that's moving into and through your organization i think uh, from the responsible party to the um the operator so those those are the companies that are are now making use and processing data outside the, the, the primary entity, uh, they're going to be able to be fit on their feet. The regulator requires the, the, um, the operator to advise immediately to the responsible party if there's any type of breach or, mm. or, or issue. Uh, the act is a little bit uh, different between the responsible party and the uh, and the regulator, it seems to allow for some time uh, to make sure that you know the necessary assessment and perhaps bringing in the law before it is notified. But there is now a flow of information that needs to happen from the operator to the responsible party to the regulator with some speed, because the intent after all is to uh, ensure the the best interest of the data subject or data subjects that has been impacted. And it's exactly what we saw last night and the news today is a big breach. Um, lots of uh, communications are going out to say certain people are compromised uh, and you have to start taking actions to, to prevent yourself uh, you know, for, for being further compromised from, from that initial compromise. And I think companies are going to have to be fit on their feet to be able to uh, to serve that process. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're into the last five minutes of, of the webinar. So um, finishing off, and obviously if anybody in the audience have any further questions, then please uh, send them over and we'll, we'll get them in beforehand, uh, before we close. Um, but Johan, perhaps you'd like to give us um, a quick overview now of uh, what Aguru will be doing uh, to track as Popia comes into effect. Uh, what are you going to be doing to help organizations uh, monitor advisory roles perhaps. So uh, if people uh, want to get in touch with you and, and find out a little bit more, um, let us know what they should do as well. Yeah, so we can be contacted on our on our website, um, which is uh, aguru.co.za, uh, aguru, um, or email info at aguru.co.za. Uh, the idea is that we we look at a holistic approach for organizations, not just a pure focus on on popular compliance. Uh, there are a number of, uh, of of actors in in the market as well, specifically on the on the legal space that is is uh, looking at necessary advice. I think what we're trying to do is to look at a more holistic approach to organizations for the digital transformation strategy. So it could include something like a digital maturity assessment. Uh, it could look at uh, identifying data flows in the organization. Uh, you know, your digital transformation process is strongly linked to what is the decision-making uh, and flow of information going through the organization. So when you digitalize, you want to make sure that you understand that, particularly if you want to try to get efficiencies. Um, so there's questions to be asked, and that's where we can certainly advise. 
if companies are already in a, in a relative maturity, they're generating a lot of data, uh, then the next step is, of course, to help with that compliance. Uh, we can make use of a tool uh, like uh, DataBelt to be able to, to get that assessment done. But I think what's important for them is that they understand that this compliance is a continuous process. So how do you have a tool that to keep available uh, to you that can give you the, the dashboard, see what's there, and progressively then evolve the organizational culture? I think that's where our advisory work uh, comes in. Uh, and then finally, it's, it's bringing it all together. When we uh, integrate systems, is to ensure that each of those elements uh, of these complex digital systems are cognizant and are performing in accordance with uh, popular compliance so that we don't introduce any weaknesses in our operational flows or in our digital uh, activities. And uh, we're keen to, to add value in, in that respect. Super, thanks very much. And Matt, in terms of uh, you and your role in the system, um, you know, I made some very valid points there about the importance of this not just being a one-off. Um, it can be, of course, to understand where you need to be, but obviously you know, there needs to be a process behind this. Um, again, your experience, uh, DataBelt can be used both as a sort of due diligence tool as well as an ongoing tracking, monitoring, uh, and looking at the health of your data. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think when it comes to a data belt implementation, it's all around the, the short term, the medium term and the long term benefits of using it. So, of course, the, the benefits differ based on industry. So when you think about you know, M&A or law enforcement or you know, social media, whatever it might be, the challenges are very different. So therefore, the benefits are very different. However, things like the GDPR and Poppia are things that impact you know, all, in, uh, all industries, all companies, regardless of industry. So if we just focus on those in terms of the short, short-term benefits, you can understand your compliance very quickly. So what is our compliance status? What needs to be fixed? And then in the short to medium term, you then put in that corrective action. So we can now say, indeed, we are compliant and we have the right processes in place. And then the longer term benefits is that really DataBelt is sitting there almost as a, you know, an internal regulator of sorts. So that you know, th- these, these processes need to be well-oiled machines and they need to be looked after. And that is a big job in itself. So having data belt in place will then flag up where you do have anomalies. So maybe we have sensitive data that is sitting on a publicly facing drive. Those are the types of non-compliance that you want to be flagged up very quickly. And DataBelt allows you to have that ongoing check of your data, your data health, your compliance status, et cetera. Very good. Thank you very much indeed. So at the end of our time, um, I haven't got any more questions from the audience, although you've got another 30 seconds if you do have any last minute. Uh, but feel free to, uh, to route any uh, further questions or queries you have through to Johan. Um, so I'd like to thank the audience for attending this afternoon. I hope you found that useful and some interesting points out of it. Uh, I'd obviously like to thank Johan from Guru and uh, Matt Smith from AIM for also contributing to the process. And as I mentioned, we uh, will take a recording. There'll be a podcast of this made available, um, and that will be sent out to everybody who attended the session today. Um, please feel free to make use of uh, some of the experts you heard today, um, particularly Johan in South Africa and his team. Um, we, we're delighted and honored to be partnering with Agro and um, looking at how we collectively can support organizations 
through their data and through their understanding the digital transformation. Uh, so we're very, very pleased to be uh, running these sorts of sessions with a guru. Um, unless anybody has any further points to make, I will bid you farewell for this afternoon. Have a good rest of day and weekend, and I hope to see you on the webinar again soon. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you all. Thank you, Steve. Bye-bye. Thank, Thank, Thank you, everyone. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, Data Talks by AIM, as we are adding new episodes regularly. If you'd like to offer some feedback or indeed topics for future podcasts, please let us know at marketing at AIMLTD.UK.